welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning. Let's do that again. Good morning. We're awake. Excellent. My name's Dave Kilpatrick. I serve as the Director of Ministries here at Cary, and it's just, it's just a joy uh, to be with you again, sharing out of the Scriptures. This is one of the f- most favourite parts of my job, because I get, I get to spend hours just soaking in the scriptures and I get excited about it and it starts to come alive and then I get to share what I'm excited about with people which I love. How cool is that? Um, this is a continuation of a series on key truths. Key truths from the scriptures. Can we remember what the first key truth was? Brian spoke about it. God is sovereign. God is a fantastic message by Brian. If you haven't uh, listened to that, if you didn't hear that, listen to that on the podcast. The second one, uh, Peter Scott spoke to us about we are called to grow. Yes, we are called to grow. The third one, um, Mark Lilly spoke to us last week about it, talked about big and big. No, deep and big. Deep roots lead to big wings. The fact that if we're going to grow, we need deep roots into the scriptures, deep roots into God. A a large tree only stands firm and gets nourishment because of the deep roots. And today, the key truth that we're looking at is God is Father. God is Father. Now, the fact that God is Father is incontrovertible. It's all through the scriptures. Jesus spoke all the time about God the Father. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he said, pray like this and started with our Father. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is, um, the record of the Sermon on the Mount is given, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to sleep because your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Time and time again, the scriptures talk about God as Father. And he doesn't talk about God as Father because he has a beard or a hairy chest or big muscles. We know that God is Spirit. In Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And, and Jesus says, God is Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God isn't, doesn't have a bodily form that you'd say, oh yeah, he's a bloke. What we are talking about here in the Scriptures is describing the nature and character heart and heart and relationship of God to, well, everything. God is Father. But the really challenging part of this core truth is that we are unable to come to it outside our own story in which we are deeply and emotionally formed. You see, for some, our story of our Father is a good one. For some, it's a story that brought safety and strength and a feeling of being loved and valued and nurtured, a feeling of hope and purpose. For others, the story of our father or father figures is is a hard one. For some, it's a story of abandonment or betrayal or abuse or violence or addiction. Fathers who, despite the inescapable love that you have for your children, are broken. It may be that your story is a father who was physically present but emotionally absent. A father who was 
who was good but would get angry or frustrated, a father that, that was all of these things mixed up. For most of us, the story is mixed. And the thing is that we come to this truth, we come to this concept as God as Father deeply formed by our own story. I love my kids to bits. Being the dad of my four children and the wife, the husband of my wife is the greatest joy and greatest privilege I have. But despite the pressures of them to them, I still get it wrong. I still hurt them. I still wound them. I still grieve them in ways that I never want to do. There's a photo that I love. This is Josh and I fishing. He's my oldest boy. And I love this photo not because I love fishing. A bit of backstory. I have for most of my life been anaphylactically allergic to fish. And so when I was younger and I had soft hands, I'd touch the fish and my hands would itch and get red and inflamed and anything else I touched would get itchy. And as I became older and my hands became more callous, I could touch the fish on my hands. But if I touched anything else, I'd, I'd start to it'd become itchy and inflamed. And, and what do you do when you're around something that makes you itchy? Whether you've touched yourself or not, you feel itchy. And so I'd have fish on my hands and I'd be itching and I couldn't itch because then I'd be really itching. And it seems just like a lot of hassle to go through to catch something that if you ate, it's going to kill you anyway. So I never really got the fishing bug. I mean, enjoy it with friends, but I never was particularly good at it. But I love this photo, not because I love fishing, but because Josh loves fishing. And he loves fishing with me. And in this photo, I'm the dad I want to be more of the time. See, in this photo, I'm quiet and I'm still and I'm just with him. I'm enjoying being with him. Sometimes I'm teaching the few things I know. Other times we're chatting. Sometimes we're just standing, enjoying each other's company with our lines in the water, waiting for what will happen. And there's a variety of photos I could have showed you of moments in time when I'm being the dad I want to be. Still and present and just enjoying being with my kids. And as much as I love them, as much as my heart aches for them, there's a lot of times when I'm not that dad. There's a lot of times when I'm tired or grumpy or preoccupied or stressed or caught up in what's going on in my head. There's times when they're pressing in on me and wanting my attention or to engage just because I'm their dad and that crashes into all the stuff that I've got to do and I'm not still with them. And my anxiousness or my preoccupation pushes against their desire to be with me. And sometimes I catch what happens in their face as they give up and walk away. And I see what I've done to their heart. It just kills me a little bit inside. Because that's not the dad I want to be. But at times I am, despite my best endeavours. We are all shaped in our understanding of Father. And it's really hard for us to step out of that story and understand the story of God. There were two times. The other, the other challenge we can have is we can have it intellectually. I've been in a Christian family all my life. I've probably listened to thousands of sermons. I've forgotten most of them. 
Um, I've read hundreds of books. I've read the scriptures for years. And I can have an intellectual understanding that God is love and God loves me. But it, but it hasn't necessarily translated to an emotional realization of what that means. There's been two occasions where God has captured my attention. One of them was when I was still a lawyer at Williams and Hughes. And I was walking out of my office and I had some bookshelves on the right-hand side of my door. And as I walked out, I had a photo of my kids. And, and as I, I walked out, I just glanced at my kids and I instinctively just smiled. I saw my kids and I smiled. And as clearly as God has ever spoken to me, he said, that's what I do when I look at you. And all of a sudden, I move from an intellectual understanding that God is love to a relational connection that, man, he feels the same way I feel about my kids in my better moments. And it changed something. Another time was on January the 17th this year. I know the date because the next day I was going to a retreat. And I'm sitting at home and I'm with my kids and they're, they're just having fun. It was one of those moments with four kids where no one's fighting and no one's having an argument and I haven't ticked anyone off. And, and I'm just enjoying my family. I'm just soaking in the delight of being the father to these kids. And I'm delighting in them, delighting with each other. And driving down to the retreat the next day, I was just reflecting on that and just enjoying what it was to enjoy my kids and delight in my kids. And God started to open me up to the idea that he delighted in me. The God of all creation delighted in me. And as that idea started to settle into my soul, it started to displace this feeling that I hadn't even known I'd had. But the idea that, yeah, I know God loves me and it's like his job. He's got to his God and his love. But it was probably a bit burdensome, really. It was a bit of a, a, bit of a chore, and I didn't even know that that was there until God started to settle the idea that he delights in me. And as one settled in, the other one started to get displaced. So we step into this concept of God as Father deeply entrenched in our own story. And we have a capacity to hear it intellectually, but it doesn't translate to an emotional engagement with a God who is in love with people. And so we need to read the scriptures really carefully and really deeply. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. The story, it says in your Bible, it'll say the story of the prodigal son. And it's after three stories, the stories of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin and the story of the prodigal son. And it's a story, as we read, of a, a father who had two sons. And one son decides, hey, dad, basically, um, can I have half of your stuff now? Uh, half of it's mine. I'm one of two sons. And what he's really saying is, dad, I want your stuff. I don't want you. And honestly, I can't be waiting for you to die till I get it. So can you just give it to me now and we can be done with it. In that culture, a patriarchal culture of giving honor, just deeply offensive. So dad, can, can you just, if you're not going to die, just give it to me so I can clear out. 
And the father does so. And the son takes one half of his father's wealth after having communicated that message to his dad. And he goes to a far off country. And he spends the whole lot on wild living. Nice, nice euphemism, that isn't it? Wild living. And um, he loses everything. Then a famine hits that land. And he has nothing. He's got no food. He's got no income. He's got no money. And so he, he sells himself. He hires himself out to a citizen of that country to, who puts him out in the fields to look after his pigs. Now, don't miss the tragic irony of this story. This is a Jewish story about a Jewish father and a Jewish son. And for the Jews, pigs were unclean. The idea of having to hire himself out so he could look after someone else's pigs in the field was about as low as they could fall. And the kid's starving. It's probably not a kid, it's a young man, but he's starving. He's, he's longing to, that someone would give him the food the pigs are eating. And, and he comes to this realisation, man, I'm starving here, what am I doing? He comes to his senses and said, dad's hired servants have more than enough food. I'll, I'll go home and I'll say, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Can you take me on as a hired servant? This is not much a sign of, of repentance and a broken heart as it's just economic survival. So he, so he heads home. And the story goes on, we see it while he was a long way off, the father sees him filled with compassion, runs out, gives him sandals, gives him a ring, gives him a robe, kills a fatted calf, they have a feast, elder son's grumpy, refuses to come back in, the father goes out to this son, you see the pattern, the father goes out to the second son, he says come in, and we start to see the, the, the relationship that the second son hasn't been having with the dad. He says, come on, I have been slaving for you all of this time and I have been never disobeyed any of your orders, but this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours takes your money and spends it on prostitutes. It's actually not in the story, so it's interesting the assumption the older brother comes to. And now all this time you haven't even given me a baby goat to celebrate with my friends, not to celebrate with you, to celebrate with my friends. And now this, this son of yours comes home and you kill the fatted calf. You hear the, hear the anguish in the dad's voice. I said, dad, son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours, but I had to celebrate. What's going on here? These are not flatline scriptures. These are not two-dimensional stories. There is a richness in these stories that we need to try and understand. And the way in which we understand it can differ depending upon which position we take in the story. So we could, we could take, for example, we could put ourselves in the position of the elder son. And, and he's got a long walk home. He, he, he doesn't have shoes on his feet. And he, he's in a far off land. So he's got a long walk home. And this entire time he's going home, he's thinking about the fact that when he left, he basically left saying, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. I can't wait. Give us some money. And he left with half his dad's wealth. And he's lost it all. And he knows the offense as he reflects on it, the offense that that would have been to his dad. He wonders about the conversations his dad would have had to have in the village or the community about what's happened to his son. What's going on in the boy's mind as he's walking home? How would you feel? How would you feel as he's starting to come into the town where people start to look at him? What, what is he thinking that they're thinking? What sort of reception 
Will that even speak to me? Will even look at me? Or maybe we then move ourselves to the, the elder son. And we see that this, this younger upstart brothers run off with half of dad's wealth. And I've been busting my gut, doing the right thing, obeying, slaving away. And, and he rocks up and dad chucks a party for him. Can you feel the sense of injustice and unfairness and indignation rising? How, how? You never did any of that for me. Or we can put ourselves in the position of the father and, and, and think about the, the wounding that this son caused. Think about the fact that you're seeing him coming. He ain't got no money with him. Half of your wealth has been lost. How are you going to communicate to this, this son of yours what he's done? How are you going to somehow get across to him the implications and consequences of his actions? What, what, what in the world are you going to say to him to let him know the shame and embarrassment he has caused, let alone the loss of half of his well-being? If you put yourself in that part of the story, what, what comes to mind that you would say? What, how is the father going to respond Or you can put yourself in the place of a dad who perhaps for years, every time he sat down at the table, has looked at the place where his younger son used to sit. Thinking about the nights that he's shed tears, thinking that his son is probably dead. How many times in the stillness of the night has he closed his eyes and remembered the feeling of holding his son to his chest and and smelling him and wishing he could do that again? Just wishing he'd, he'd come over the hill. His son surely was dead. Hadn't heard from him for years. If I put myself in that story, if I try and imagine what it would be like for me to have lost one of my kids, the hole in me that it would left, the desire, the longing just to hold them again, the pain in knowing that they were perhaps dead and never really know how much I love them. So if I put myself in the place of that father, As I'm standing, daydreaming, looking out, I see a wretched, skinny, dirty frame walking towards me. And in the midst of the poverty of the picture, I see my son's gait. I see his walk. And in that moment, I run. I don't give a stuff about the fact that good Jewish elderly statesmen don't run. I run. 
And all of a sudden, all the feelings of betrayal and hurt dissolve because my son, I can see him. What I've longed for, I can do. And I run and I just grasp him. The word, the father kissed him is a word of kissed passionately or kissed repeatedly. And and I I hold and I, I feel the skin and bone of what used to be his muscular body because he hasn't been eating properly. And I I just hold him and and I absorb him back into my life. And I remember the days that I have longed to do this and here he is. And I I push him back to look at him and I, I realize he's got no shoes. He's been walking for days and days with bare feet and they're sore. And I tell the servants, quick, come and get some sandals for his feet. And I take in his appearance and his clothes are shabby and dirty and smelly. And I said, get the best robes and put them on my boy. And I want everyone to know that this is my son. So I get a ring on his finger, which is a sign that he is mine and he has authority in this home. And I want him at my table. I want him sitting at the chair that has been vacant for so many years. And so I said, kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Gather in. My son who was lost is here. That is the only story which makes sense of the father's response. God is a father. God is a father. These three parables are not stories of a sheep that was lost or a coin that was lost or a son that was lost. It's a story about a father who has kids who are lost and missing and he longs to hold them. This is Jesus, God's own son, communicating to us through the scriptures, through this story. This is God's heart. God is father but we can read across it really quickly and not allow the incredible reality of this broken heart of God for us. And not just you and me, but every other single human being on the face of the earth. God is Father. How we read the scriptures matters. And there's a question about whether we will step out of our own story, whether we will move beyond an intellectual understanding and we will ask God to open up our minds and our hearts to grasp the extraordinary story of a God who longs for relationship with his kids like that. See, when I put myself in that story, And I see my own child starting to come down the road. At that point, I start to get an inkling of understanding about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever might believe in him would not perish but have eternal life with him. See, the difference between our heavenly father... And me is that God is never grumpy. He never has a bad day. He's never distracted or stressed or worried or tired. He is always present and loving. 
God is love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we read that love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. That is the heart of a good, good father. I pray that God will continue to transform me so I can be more like that with my kids. Will we allow God to deepen and open our understanding of just who he is and how he feels about us? Will we allow allow him to heal our story? And to bring us into an extraordinary new story where we are loved in ways we cannot comprehend. The other question we must ask as we think about God as Father is, are we going to trust our dad? Are we going to trust our dad? See, God says over and over again in the scriptures, I am sovereign, I am good, I am faithful, I'm your father. Trust me. And he doesn't tell us to trust him because if we do, nothing's going to go wrong or that everything will work out the way we want. He tells us to trust him because he knows we live in a world that is broken and hurting. He knows that bad stuff's going to happen to us. He tells us you will suffer all sorts of trials and tribulations and persecutions and troubles in this world. And so we can live a life where we're anxious and fearful and we try and control as much as we can or we can rest into the idea that God is sovereign and good and faithful and loves us like that. And we trust him. See, when we start to read the scriptures like that, they come alive and they open up and we see it everywhere. In the letters of John, it says, What love has God lavished on us that we should be called children of God? In Romans chapter 8, I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things future can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We hear it again and again and again and again and again. But we read over the top of it without sitting in it and allowing it to transform us. Because if we have a God who is truly sovereign and loves us like that, it should transform us. When my kids were really little, like really little, just so they could stand, I used to say, come on, jump. And when they were really little, they'd be there and I'd have to get this close so they could almost touch me before they'd take their feet off the landing. And as they got older, and realized I was strong enough and I wasn't going to let them fall. And they actually enjoyed what it was to launch into something they couldn't control and be caught by their dad. They'd jump further and further. Occasionally, Luke would be walking past and say, Dad, catch! I think I dropped him once. They could have stayed there where they felt safe but they never would have experienced the exhilaration of being caught by dad. We can live our lives never experiencing what it is to be caught by dad. 
We can live our lives anxious and fearful and worried and concerned and trying to control the things that we cannot control. Or we can rest in the key truth that God is sovereign. That he calls us to grow, that he calls us to take bigger and bigger steps as we learn to trust that what he says about himself is true. That as we understand that he is Father and we start to plumb the depths of that as it relates to the way in which perhaps we feel to our kids, irrespective of what our journey was like with our dad. That is life transforming. Will we allow the scriptures and God's spirit to open up our story? And be caught up in a story of a God who loves us in that way. And will we trust our dad? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told us really plainly and yet we still struggle to understand. Father, as we start to open this up, we, the cross takes on new meaning. Lord, it was the extent to which God was prepared to go to open up his life for those that were lost. Oh Lord, you know we struggle to step out of our own story. We know we struggle to comprehend that we could be loved like that, that you could be who you say you are. Lord, we want to believe. Help our unbelief. Would you bring healing to our story? Lord Jesus, would you give us the capacity to be loved like you want to love us? And Lord, would you take us on a journey, an exhilarating, terrifying, life-transforming journey of just trusting you? Lord, I thank you for your scriptures. As we read them, would you bring them alive by your spirit and help us to see the life beneath the words. Father, thank you that you love us. We love you. Would you help us love you more? Amen.